Ripata scribe Girgis was running out of future options. His hometown of Byblos was in danger because of the Amorite incursions. And although his reading and writing capabilities were appreciated by the Amorites, he realized they were too loosely organized for him to find a secure position with these rugged folk from the mountains. Also, if the Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten abandoned Gubla, his boss Ribhada would be banished or murdered. Now Girgis eyed an alliance with the Hittite king Supiluliuma, whose armies had recently conquered the city of Carchemis from Tushrada, the Mitanni king, whose empire was collapsing under the unrelenting Hittite onslaught. Hoping to offer King Supiluliuma his scribing powers, Girgis hoped to show the king he could be an important figure in the upper echelons of Hittite royalty. He had experience dealing with Egypt, which was becoming worried over Hittite advancement into territories claimed by Egypt. Chapter 20 Girgos Agrees Nasser, I must send tablets home to Gubla, Girgos said to his host. Aziru grunted in exasperation. He was impatient to leave. The trip to Carchemis in Aziru's chariots was behind schedule. Girgos scowled at Aziru's impatience. I need to issue a report to Ribhada and send greetings to my wife, Girgis continued. Can you take me to your office, Nasser, where it is quieter? Nasser nodded and led Girgis to his sumptuously appointed study to allow the scribe time to send notes back home. I have ordered fresh clay for you, Nasser said. Thank you, the scribe replied. What are you looking for in Carchemis? Nasser asked. Girgis had given up all thought of finding future employment with the Amorites. And if Akhenaten abandoned Gubla, Ribhata would be banished or murdered. Girgis hoped to find a place for himself and his family with his new friends, and the Hittites, the conquerors of Carchemis, were the new wave of power. Noise and commotion erupted in the courtyard. Men were shouting harsh words and exchanging expletives. As the noisy complainers came nearer, their increasing verbal exchanges became louder. These men were not strangers to this house as they burst loudly into the quiet office. Girgos knew they were warriors from the military gear the young men wore. Still, they had learned their social etiquette lessons well, for as soon as the young men realized Nasser was meeting with Girgos and Aziru, the three stopped and assumed postures of keen attention. Mubalit, Kudur, and Mabik were the best of friends, which further meant that they could have some terrible disagreements, and this was shaping up to be one of them. The arguing stopped for a moment, but it wasn't over. The young men looked expectantly at Nasser. He was the Rabyanu, their village chieftain, and Mabik and Kuder's father. The brothers Mabik and Kuder looked like twins, with dark copper skin, jet black eyes, shiny black hair, and an oriental slant to their eyes. But they weren't at all alike to anyone who spent any time with them. Mabik, the baby, was an extrovert, and more apt to be unhindered and spontaneous. Kuder was more inclined to get his sensibilities bruised, but, being the oldest, he was expected to be the wisest and most patient, and he usually was. Nasser glared at them. This better be important enough for you to interrupt me this way, he scolded. Kuder spoke first, enlisting his father to right his wrongs. Sir, Warad, my father-in-law, has not given me what I deserve, he began. He promised me the white horse, but changed his mind. Nasser was used to dealing with minor complaints, such as this one. But because this involved in-laws, it carried a tone of political expediency. 
This was an extended family dispute that could ignite into a political shoving match. Warad, Mubalit's father, was the man in charge of the raiding party. He was the one to decide where the spoils went. Being the Rabianu, the symbolic father of the tribe, Nasser was judge and jury. What is the problem? he asked. The armed soldiers forced us to detour a far distance around Samira, Cooter began. Were there chariots? Nasser asked. Not that we could see, the younger Mabik noted. Cooter continued the thread. We followed a road to the top of the mountain. It started to rain, so we hurried into the valley. A quarter mile off we could see a corral. Mabik jumped in again. It was a big corral, and made of stone, and we couldn't tear down the walls. There was a gate made of big poles set in the ground. There were mules in the corral, and amongst them was a fine white horse with a rope around its neck. And I called dibs on the horse, Cooter interrupted his brother. I told everyone it was mine, because I saw it first. Warad nodded his head when he heard me say this very thing. Father, Mabik interrupted again. I saw Warad nod when Cooter claimed the horse. The horse is his. Then Mubalat jumped in to defend his father, who wasn't there. But that was before we realized the horse had red feet and teeth, he explained excitedly. It was obviously a horse from Kotna, and any horse from Kotna is well-trained. Cooter could have chosen another horse. I know. I was there. Father is a much better horseman. He will use the horse to its fullest. Fortified like Ebla, Kotna was twice as large as its northern neighbor. They fed the horses of Kotna matter roots, which colored their hooves and teeth, and made them easily identifiable. And they were as well-trained as Kikuli's dark horses on the eastern side of the kingdom. It was common knowledge that these red-footed horses were high-value, spoils-of-war items. No wonder the older fellow changed his mind when the daylight showed the real value of this animal. I will wait to hear Warad's side before I decide, Nasser said. But we didn't know until it became light the next day, Mubalit complained. The horse is too powerful for Cooter. It has red feet. No, Cooter persisted. The horse was supposed to be mine. Nasser held up his hand to stop the boys from further argument. I will summon you when Warad is here, he said, and turned his attention back to Girgos and Aziru. The meeting was finished. The boys left, still grumbling and pushing at each other. Nasser smiled at Girgus. Boys, yes, he chuckled. So, back to business. Aziru tells me you wish to push on to Carchemis to meet with the Hittites, he said. Girgus wasn't so sure it was wise continuing east. Yes, but I feel uneasy going to Carchemis, Nasser, he said. The Hittites are now in charge. Girgus, I am sending Aziru with you. He has protected you since Baalbek. I am making the arrangements now. Girgos frowned. Why has this been arranged without my knowledge, Nasser? I am not accustomed to having my decisions made for me, and your presumptuousness makes me uncomfortable. The further I am from Gobla, the more I am exposed and in danger. I should seek a treaty with King Nikmadu in Ugarit. There is too much unrest in Carchemis. They will protect you, Girgos. Ha! Is it this group of clowns I saw just now who you intend to be my protectors? I might as well travel with a performing circus to prevent detection. What you heard was an inside family dispute, Gergos. Nasser spoke, holding back his anger at this incendiary remark. These are my sons, who I am sending with you. Do not belittle my offer. He was losing patience with this soft man from the city. You must trust in yourself. You must find your strength. And you must ask for God's help, Gergos. I grow tired of your worries. I had no knowledge I was being protected, Gergos protested. We have watched you every minute, every hour. Aziru and Kuder have kept you close. Gergos frowned and fretted, in need of further convincing. 
Aziru has been a warrior for many years, Nasser continued. He has honed and rehoned his blade. Both Kuder and Aziru will make sure you arrive safely in Karkamis. Nasser paused as Girgos sputtered in dismay. And Sonia and Aziru are to be married, Nasser continued with a smile. And so they draw you into our family. You will become our brother. How? Girgos asked. Nasser's smile got even broader. Sonia's sister, Jihan, is married to my son, Kuder. You see? Girgos nodded. Inwardly, he wondered if this was a politically arranged marriage to solidify Nasser's future by bringing a scribe into the family. You say Aziru is a wise man, but he is a scoundrel from the hills, an Amorite. People know all of you as ruffians, outlaws. Nasser ignored Girgus's insult and forged ahead. And so you become part of my family. We will become close. Nasser stepped forward and put his arm around Girgus. Now that they were close brethren, as strong as bloodline relatives, Nasser could share secrets only discussed within families, behind linen curtains. Girgus, you must go forward. We have no alternative. We would have to kill you for breaking the rules of the Brotherhood if you quit us. Now Girgus understood. He was considered family, and his life was no longer his own. Okay, Girgus shrugged. He couldn't do much else and still stay alive with these heathens. Good. It is settled, Nasser said, as he steered the portly scribe from the conference room. The chariots will leave at dawn, tomorrow. End of chapter. Thank you for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick my books, and select Katie Becomes Ishtar. That'll take you to the Ancient Katie series of books. Inconvenient Goddess can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book as well as an audiobook set or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website jeadvm.com.